Hi, everyone, and welcome. This is Seek Sustainable Japan, and today I have the pleasure of talking with researcher and educator, Ran Zuenberg. Help me with your name, Ran. Zwagenberg. Zwagenberg, okay.、Yeah. And、uh, today we're talking about dark tourism and Ran's wonderful book about how the peace. Narrative or the global memory culture has developed over time, and、uh, you have so many amazing insights, Ren,、uh, in this book. I'm sure we won't have、uh, time to discuss them all, and I would love to follow up in another interview about your work、uh, with Oleg about the castles.、Yeah. Really interesting. Yeah. 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 Um, so I first want to know how did you get interested in this topic,、um, which led you down this research theme.、Um, well, there's a、uh, a couple of things that that led me down to it. Well, first of all, I'm from Israel, right? So、um, I have、um, my family. Most of my family, or、uh, most of my grandparents, are Holocaust survivors, and.、Um, Um, when I was in Hiroshima the first time,、um, there was when I was here, I guess in 2004 or something. I was exchanged to an Kyushu University in Fukuoka, where I'm right now, a visiting scholar,、uh, closing cycles and stuff.、Uh, I went to Hiroshima, and then I remember feeling oddly everything become that I was there. Everything was oddly familiar. The museum,、uh, the narratives, the way it was designed, but also even the people. You know, when you I had a chance to go listen to a survivor, and it felt oddly like my own grandparents talking. And there's something about the clothing, the atmosphere, the story itself、uh, that really it really touched me in a very emotional way. Even though it's a completely different place, completely different event. So when I start doing my、um, my during my grad work in New York at University of New York. Uh, I did a research, just exploring. I did a research paper. I didn't want to write on this or anything like this. I started、uh, doing uh, more uh, German history,、uh, something more related to German history, intellectual history.、Um, and then my advisor at the time said, "Why don't you write more about us?" And I wasn't interested, but they were really pushing me,、uh, and luckily so. So I, I eventually I, I took it on, and the more I got into it. Uh, the more I understood how many connections there are between my own personal history and the story of Holocaust survivors and commemoration of the Holocaust and commemoration of Hiroshima. So this is why the book eventually became a global memory because、uh, about global memory because it's basically about how we all share some of the same tropes, some of the same narratives, some of the same symbols and understanding of how we deal with such a Momentous and horrible events that happened World War Two, because World War Two, after all, we forget is a world war, right? We all kind of look at it through the lens of our own little national histories.、Um, I teach in America, and most Americans, of course, think about Hiroshima through the American lens, either you know, for or against dropping the bomb, or、uh, was it、um, or what happened afterwards depends on your political persuasions, right? Uh, but it's much more than this. It's a global event. Both of those were global events and touch well beyond the communities、uh, in Hiroshima and Nagasaki and the communities affected by the Holocaust. So that was basically what led me into this、um, into this research. 
and I can talk more about details later on, but it's basically, it was kind of a combination of personal history and um, my advisors insisting that it's going to be good to do it. Like no one ever did it before. Uh, yeah. So I took it on. No, it's really powerful and it's really complicated. Um, yeah. I often work in tourism in Hiroshima for many years now. And the, the peace narrative is always in conflict with uh, owning the military history and having that balance of the dark past and the, the bright future. And you lay these issues out so clearly, but also show how complicated it is from the survivors, from the politicians, from the design of the park. Um, there's so many different parts of it which have created the modern experience um, that people have when they come to Hiroshima. It's it's really an, a great resource. Um, you wrote it many years ago. How long did it take you to research the book? Who are we? Uh, um, just talking about your research, you were in Hiroshima for about five years, you said? Uh, yeah, well, uh, yeah, it, it, I wrote it in five world. years, yeah. Around mm -hmm. the world, yeah, it's a lot, a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of travel, yeah, yeah, on very um, tight budget also. But one of the one of the things that really struck out to me is how the the whole narrative of peace um, is very it's complicated, right? Uh, even now yeah. we see this; it's complicated. Uh, you want to talk about um, how the city was destroyed and has this fresh start is a very common narrative, um, yeah. right? The rebirth. Yeah. The rebirth, yeah. It, it, it got under the occupation and got into what we now will see as surreal. It's very hard. I mean, the, the picture you show, it's from a tourist uh, tourist guide. And I think it's from 51. I might, I might be wrong, but it's under occupation. And uh, to put on your tourist guide, a picture of the atomic bomb. It's, uh, it's a little bit uh, jarring for our eyes, but it was very, uh, it was something to see a lot at the time because uh, tourism, we talked about tourism a little bit before about, uh, was a very big driver of this change. And it gets a lot to get to do with money then and now. And I'm not talking in the cynical, look at them, they're benefiting from their, from their, uh, from the disaster kind of narrative, but really people were starving. People had no, there was no, 80% of the tax base of Hiroshima city was destroyed, right? The city was oriented towards world production. I mean, all of Japan was in bad way, but Hiroshima in particular, uh, both the actual destruction of Hiroshima, right? But also uh, the economic destruction, um, then transfer from war economy to peace economy. And the fact that a lot of people killed a lot of uh, factories uh, and sources of income destroyed and the city was badly needed badly needed sources of income right so tourism was one resource actual resource that i talk about to rebuild a city uh rebuild a city because what they figure out very fast today i mean hiroshima city and other people who work in, in tourism here is that people come to see this place. And I think um, there was one guy that I found in a museum from 1946 that called the city the atomic city. Uh, and it's basically telling what everybody knows. Everybody come here to see the bomb. 
and it's something that people can literally capitalize on, like get money to, for rebuilding the city. Um, and then, then there was the ideological uh, slash political issue here. Ideological meaning there is an emphasis on a move from war to peace, right? And in all of Japan, there's an emphasis on a new beginning, a new fresh start after the war, right? It's also very convenient because you don't really want to talk about what happened, right? It, it's, it's, um, it's not even, you know, it's hard not to be cynical, but we have to remember it to look at it from the eyes of people at the time, right? A terrible war happened. Um, they were complicit in it in so many ways. The Americans came defeat. Everything has to be refought off. Everything has to be re reevaluated. And the Americans basically give them this gift right? and saying, here is a new start. Now is a democracy. Now it's a place of peace. Now you're a nation of peace, right? There's a peaceful constitution and everything. Uh, now it's a fresh start. And there's kind of an agreement between both the American occupiers and Japanese elites that are constructing this narrative, not to talk too much about what happened, but to talk about the future, about Hiroshima's role in the new order as a place that is a warning and a place which can work for peace. And this is something that you can say that starts even as early as August 15 with the emperor, emperor uh, decree that ended the emperor's speech ended the war. He said that there's this horrible weapon um, and horrible weapon the enemy is deploying, and now we have to, to surrender to save civilization. I don't remember the exact wording, but it didn't present the end of the war as a complete failure on parts of Japanese elites. I don't even talk about what happened in Asia, right? In Japan's aggression and everything, and Nanking, and it's about towards the Japanese people, right? The Japanese elites completely, I mean, I mean criminally persecuted a war that led to 3 million and more more dead, right? And now they have this God-giving ideological gift from the Americans saying, oh, there was, there's a bomb, and now we are in, we surrendering in order to save the world. So it was very easy to transition in Hiroshima to this, okay, we now save the world kind of peace narrative. And also, going to the politics here, the Americans would not let them talk about a bomb any other way. I mean, it's, I'm reducing very complicated situation here, uh, but basically, you couldn't talk about a bombing any other way but in connection to peace, right? So you have all those different narratives, right? I mean, I started tourism, but tourism, of course, it comes afterwards. But like the tourism, the ideological, the political, the economic, all those things lead to this narrative that the bomb ended the war and gave Japan a new beginning. We had, we had a comment from Alicia Gibson, two of my favorite yeah. people having an important Hi, Alicia. Thanks, Alicia. <laughs> Great to have you here. Sure, I've read this. I read your book years ago and then reviewing it again before this talk. The thing that is really powerful to me is the hibaksha experience, the, the development of how survivors um, became peace activists and how yeah. their stories were often censored. Uh, and then now the modern narrative is their stories are very key to the visitor experience coming to the Peace Park. Um, yeah. You talk about this development so, so well in the book, and it is very complicated, and it comes from many different directions. Yeah, it's, uh, that's a later. The voice of the survivors come out, it's a later. In the beginning, um, this relates to Alicia's question, right? Uh, 
uh, in the beginning, there are not many avenues for survivors to talk about it. Well, so let's start from the fact that in the beginning, Hiroshima was not so different from other places. And we tend to forget that before Hiroshima, there was a huge campaign that destroyed almost all of Japan's urban environment. Um, we're talking a number of like 60, 50%, Toyama 99%, 100,000 people in Tokyo, more than the bomb initially, right? In Tokyo in March 10. Um, so people in Hiroshima look around and their city are destroyed in one blast. But before people are aware of what happened with radiation, and even if they are, there is censorship and people are not allowed to talk about it openly, all of this stuff, right? Even medical uh, research is suppressed because it's military secret. Um, people cannot really talk about it. There are local publications that people start talking about what happened, people start sharing, but it's a community thing. Another thing, all right? So this is throughout all Japan. It's not a very unique experience to begin with. There's a censorship that uh, keeps it down. Um, right, and also very fast, uh, Ibaksha and are becoming a minority in Hiroshima proper. Uh, Hiroshima was the gateway to the Japanese Empire before the war, uh, during the war, okay, before and during the war, and gateway to people coming back. The, the city is flooded with people coming back, and for this and for various other reasons, uh, Hiroshima. Hiroshima uh, survivors become uh, actual minority in the city. A lot of them also didn't want to stay in Hiroshima for various reasons. This is, and they start to see discrimination against survivors in all sorts of ways. They're becoming a problem population. Uh, I talk a lot about a lot about it in my um, my new book about trauma. Uh, we can talk about it later also. Anyway, this but particularly more strongly the censorship, right? Did not allow people to come out and talk openly what happened. Uh, there's also psychological issues. People don't want to talk about things happening in Europe. Very, very similar situation with the Holocaust. The first 10 years, there is talk about, people do talk, but there's no public talk, there's private talk. But publicly, it's not acceptable to talk about it. There's also the question of representation. How do you talk about it? What words do you use? It's unprecedented. Right, and again, going back to the new beginning, people don't want to hear. Right, they don't want to talk about what happened. They don't want to talk about the war. Right, people are more concerned, and it's also privately with people. I remember I, I read um, a lot of I read a lot of files for that for my last book, of of social workers that work with young Kibaksha, and we don't think about Kibaksha as young, right? I mean, but of course they're young, right? It, it just happened, right? And you have all those, all those people, all those uh, students. Uh, like I remember one case of a student who's like, a, I have a keloid on my feet, and it's like the only thing that kind of bothers her, right? She's like, I can't wear dance shoes. That's really bothers her. She can't wear dance shoes. She want to go out dancing. And I never thought about Hibachi like this, but actually, of course. I mean, why would they want to talk about it, right? Why do you want to bring back this? You want those people. A lot of them were young. They want to enjoy life. They want to live after all those years of. Of, of suffering, right? So all those things, both psychologically and politically and the social environment meant that people didn't really talk about it until around about the mid-50s. You start to have more A-bomb literature, A-bomb poets, people start talking about it, uh, but not until 52, 53, and I guess even 55, 
you don't have the idea of people coming out and talking about it for peace. And this connection is important, right? The, the talking about the bomb, not just about the bomb per se, but connecting it for anti-nuclear activism. And this is where this whole idea of a testimony, giving a testimony started. Again, people are starting to collect testimonies already from the late 40s. And uh, this also connect to, uh, to peace activism, but it only come out really big nationally, not just in Hiroshima and Nagasaki proper, in the mid 50s. And this is where the anti-nuclear movement after what's called the Lucky Dragon 5 incident, when Japan, Japanese fishermen are victims of uh, uh, nuclear uh, H-bomb um, testing. testing in, in a bikini and in, in island Pacific. Yeah. Um, pro it's productive. It's it's useful. They're yeah. sharing their experience. Um, it also seemed yeah. around the mid fifties was when they started talking. Uh, survivors would work with lawyers as well as activists and try to get compensation. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was right. surprised how long it took them to get medical and financial support from the government. Right, so no one no, people, other people wrote about it uh, in, in connection with the Ibachi movement and, and did a really great work. It's not my, my major um, my major uh, topic, but um, the connection is both to peace, the abstract idea of let's, uh, not abstract, I mean, it's very real at the time, it's the height of the Cold War, right? Um, and the very real uh, and direct issue of compensation. Now, in the beginning, Hibaksha and other people who were victims of the bomb or bombing are not separate. Also, their organization leader, the same organizations. Only about the time in 1948-1949, when it was first, and I should have mentioned it in the first question about the city, there is a law, right, passed by the Japanese government under the occupation, the blessing of occupation, making Hiroshima a peace city and Nagasaki a culture city. That's in the Chad deal, and other people wrote about it. Why Nagasaki gets the culture and Hiroshima gets the peace? Again, a whole different conversation. But this this law is not for the survivors. It's for the city. It's for commemoration. It's for building this museum. Right? The, the survivors don't get anything. And around the same time, they start organizing and say, giving what happened radiation. Again, they don't can't talk about it openly, but giving the symbolic impact of Hiroshima, we're different from the other bombing victims. And that's a very complicated, very difficult move to make because what makes a deduction different that he lost all of his family, different from someone who is quote unquote regular bombing loss of his family, right? And actually you have a conversation with people coming out saying, I lost an eye to regular bombing, guy from Nagoya, right? Like what makes me different than you? I mean, they're actually confronting each other. Um, I'm quoting from memory here, so. <laughs> Um, and it's difficult, but Ibaksha organization have issues, and Ibaksha have issues that others don't have, namely radiation, radiation disease, and they're having to deal with unknown disease, right? And this actually allowed them to both claim special compensation and allow the government an opening to somehow compensate them, because the government is terrified from opening the door of compensation. The government compensate after the occupation over, right? veterans, people who lost uh, property, right, in the continent, okay, people who lost property due to occupation land reform, 
they don't want to compensate and people who are connected to governments or government workers they don't want to compensate in any way civilian casualties of war they don't want to open this gate right and you actually have to press on this gate and have to have political mobilization to press on this gate and define this political power and a political movement that can allow for compensation through the peace movement but the peace movement is leftist the government is rightist there's a lot of politics involved and there's a lot of pushing and in the beginning it only gets a little bit in 1956 and every time they have to fight for more and more and more and there's more and more revisions and even it's up to this day only last year there is a ruling which i'm sure you know about about the black rain survivors they always have to fight for more and more recognition and recognition again is from the japanese government not from the american government the americans wouldn't pay them a dime right even though you know in the holocaust case well we can't stand any comparisons here but let's just talk about compensation um survivors get uh survivors get compensation from the, the german government right so again this makes this whole case of hiroshima pretty complicated uh, and explains those delays yeah i guess and in terms of the funding that the american government would do like for development of the peace park um that kind of brings us to the atoms for peace <laughs> exhibit yeah. and that was that was a big controversy because the government came in with all these nuclear power is wonderful exhibits yeah. and actually replaced a lot of the artifacts that were in the peace memorial yeah. And then locals were saying, why do you have money for this, but you don't have money to compensate the local yeah. survivors, right? Yeah, it's, so. it's even crazier. <laughs> okay. Crazy. It's a really crazy story. And uh, before I wrote my second and third book, uh, in, in between the second, and various times, what I'm just going to write about this story. Um, um, then Fukushima happened, it's a whole different angle here. Um, so, um, yeah, it's a picture from the museum. Uh, so, um, right, 1949-48, there is money from the Japanese government, right? It's not American money, to build Hiroshima as a peace city, and I guess like it's a cultural city, right? Now, uh, again, the money goes to symbolic commemoration, peace, and all this stuff. Important, not survivors, right? This money built uh, the Peace Park, built the museum. Uh, for a time, it's the biggest construction um, project in Japan. And this is built inside the city of shacks. I mean, we it's hard for us to imagine the contrast, right? Because we now see New Hiroshima, where the Peace Park is different from the surrounding city, but it's kind of architecturally and conceptually, it's not so different from the building around us. But at the time, you see pictures, it, it's built in a on top of a slum, basically. Along the rivers, right, all through what's now Nakajima, there's basically a slum. There's a slum that goes all the way to Motomachi, to the castle and beyond, uh, towards Hakushima. What is all now public housing around the castle, it was all a slum, extending all the way down to Nakajima. Uh, people built houses wherever they could, and then they basically throw everybody out and say, that's a park now, right? Again, money, commemoration, Okay, it's all towards the symbolic, right? Less about people's life, right? And and uh, Nishi Marina uh, wrote brilliantly about this. 
about this connection, about what reconstruction mean, um, mean in Hiroshima and what it means is for people or for something else. And it's something else that really what pushed Adam for Peace, because Adam for Peace basically is a propaganda campaign. Um, and Bo Jacobs and others also, and other people wrote about it, um, that basically tried to make the Atom look good. And what's a better way to make the Atom look good? And it goes straight to the source, to Hiroshima. <laughs> so the American government, um, Amer American government, uh, and American and American diplomats and our people in Japan goes to Hiroshima, goes uh, goes to Hiroshima leadership, Hamai Shinzo, the mayor, and others, and say, let's put an Atom for Peace exhibit in Hiroshima. Atom for Peace, showing that let's that the bomb is not the only face of the atom, also atomic energy. Atomic energy can save the world, can leave this limitless energy, right? This is uh, the dream of space travel and futuristic, uh, futuristic, uh, you know, technology, right? This is technology of the future. This is again, the, the space age, uh, you know, satellites, Sputniks, all this stuff, right? It's all tied to atoms for peace and to the promise of the atom. And actually, Hiroshima leadership, including many in the survivor leadership, empo uh, embrace it. Why? Because there's a symbolic move uh, from dark bomb, bright atom, bright future. Again, let's think about the future. And they say, let's not use atom for war, but lose it for peace. So there is very wide consensus among most, and this is including the left also, but the Soviets doing the same thing, right? They have their own atom for peace, that we should embrace atomic energy uh, and, not ato uh, and not atomic bombs, right? They make this separation. Uh, so it's relatively easy for Americans and their uh, Japanese counterparts, um, Japanese government and other uh, business and others to push for atomic exhibit inside the museum. Right. There's only one problem is there are other things in a museum when they try to put it. So they decide to take everything out, about 2,000 uh, pieces, uh, up 2,000 artifacts, and put the Atomics for Peace uh, exhibit instead of it. But this actually made some in the Bakshi movement in uh, really angry. Yeah. Uh, and that's, I wrote about it in, in a couple of articles. Yeah. Um, and in your book, you say these 2,000 artifacts represent the lives of 200,000 people that were lost. Um, yeah. How can how can they replace it with American propaganda? That's yeah, that's, that's what really they say. shocking, <laughs> right? Yeah, it, it's, that's what that's what the survivors say, because they see through the American move, basically, and saying we're trying. And and what's even more crazy, right? That's I started. I, Actually, I wanted to end with this, is this was just the start. They wanted to build a nuclear reactor in Hiroshima. That the, what, just imagine what happened if Fukushima happened in Hiroshima again. No, because like, recently you do hear uh, Hibakusha survivors who are still alive or yeah. active in the peace movement now, they feel a connection to Fukushima survivors, uh, people yeah. who have had radiation um, in Fiji and other parts of the world, they really feel part of this global community uh, yeah. who have suffered radiation in any way. So looking back on this, they didn't know that there were going to be disasters at that time, but it seems yeah. crazy, right? For us, again, again, it's very hard for us to put us in this position of the mid-50s and 
because we know about Fukushima, we know about Chernobyl, we know about Shumaz Island, we know about all this bad history of nuclear weapons, we know what tests did, we know there's radiation everywhere, right? Bojek was uh, recent book, Nuclear Bodies, uh, show uh, how widespread is radiation everywhere. We know about this now. We don't know enough, but at the time, it was relatively easy for what decided to support nuclear energy, and again, it was a consensus to push it as something that is the other bright side of, and to put Hiroshima as the first site of nuclear reactor had a lot of symbolic meaning to it, and also it was supposedly an economic bonanza, and Hiroshima leadership supported this. Now, there was no reactor eventually, luckily, right, in Hiroshima. Yeah. But uh, I just uh, listened to a talk by Ida Kaori. Um, okay, that, yeah. So, Ida Kori wrote now about how Hiroshima University is actually pushing for a research reactor that they do have. And what they want to do is, again, it's about symbolic capital and actual capital. They want to show Hiroshima should be the place for radiation research in Japan. And the ABCC, the research uh, apparatus that America put in Hiroshima, is supporting it. So eventually they did get a reactor, but it's a small one in Hiroshima. Hiroshima University. But there's all this push to capitalize on the fact that Hiroshima is in, associated with a nuclear. And it's only not only come from America. I don't want to make it an American position. It goes two ways. There's many people in Hiroshima that are pushing either for a reactor or for nuclear research or for atoms for peace. It's, it's, it's a joint enterprise in a way. Yeah. So interesting. Um, you talk a lot about uh, the design of the park, and it's the first time um, it was such a, a modern, this goes with the same narrative about the rebirth of a new city, uh, redesigning it as modern. I think this also feeds into the idea of, of using nuclear power as a better future, right? Yeah. Um, but the Peace Park itself and all the greenery along the rivers and everything and having that combination, the clear line between the A-bomb yeah. dome, the cenotaph, the museum. And yeah. yesterday I was at the Nakaku incineration plant and they also Great connect place. to the, the line. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, that's why wow. that incineration plant is separated into two sides so yeah. that there's no separation from the peace line all the way to the sea. Wow, I never thought about it. It's a very Shinto kind of, uh, you know, you have the Shinto gates that go from the sea to the inner shrine. Yeah, I never connected this garbage plant to, it's a great place, right? But, uh, but also yeah. having, having that connection with nature. Um, yeah. There were a lot of different design ideas. At one point, uh, the local businesses wanted a zoo in the the peace park yeah. that's interesting you know, yeah you know there was a hotel there right so there was a hotel one of the yeah. kenzo tange's buildings was used as a hotel yeah and that's where she stayed here she and one more the the french woman her name. so uh, the, the way we experience peace park and hiroshima city center now it has been it's not been a straight line it's been a real back and forth development over time from a lot of yeah. different forces. Yeah, it was, again, it's all about symbolic capital and there's more, and, and the, the atomic dome, atomic bomb dome and the park are the most, are important spaces for the city. If you go to Hiroshima station, 
there's a big signs leading you straight to the atomic bomb dome. That's where the, you take the Roman the, the tram straight there. There's a big sign. I don't know if it's still there because they they took down the the station, right? I remember there's like the first thing I saw. I remember when I went um, uh, out of the train in Hiroshima was um, a sign of the dome and like leading you to the tram. I just in the old station. I don't know if they still have it. It's like. You literally led straight from there. This is a very pilgrimage uh, vibe to it, and the people who designed the city, and designed, and, and designed the museum, that was their intention, right? Um, you don't go to the museum from the back, right? You go always from the dome, right? All the visitors go from the dome, and this was how it was designed. Take Kenzo, they designed both the city. Uh, you have to remember, Hiroshima was completely destroyed, and it was seen as an opportunity to build a new modern city, not just Nakajima, right? To rebuild the whole city. That's why we had those enormous 100 meter, um, like, like the, Peace, uh, the Peace Avenue, right? Like 100 meter uh, avenues, and the bridges that connect to it, everything was designed uh, with an intention to make a new peace city, a new modern city. And this intention was to make it into a site of pilgrimage. Now, uh, I write in the book that was actually built on earlier designs. We mentioned uh, Shinto shrines. It was actually on purpose because the earlier design that he had was for a shrine commemorating the death of uh, Japanese soldiers in the war. It was a wartime, very triumphant commemoration of people who died for the Greater East Asia War. And he took the same design and changed it into the Peace Park design, right? Uh, that was, I think, like in the 80s, uh, they found the, the old, uh, the old 80s. Um, I forgot the name. This Japanese story found it, but so the, this it tells you a story, right? You go for you go from the tram. Usually, if you go from the tram, go in front of the dome, you're in the destruction part, right? And then you go in straight line from the destruction part through this park. It's full of nature, right? This idea of, of that will be a place of nature, of water, of life, right? And you go to this very solemn place, the cenotaph, where the names are written, and, and there it's underneath, but it's like where you give your prayer. And then you go up into this very modern building, right? So it's from destruction to rebirth, right? It's a very, it's a very, very particular story. But the fact that they designed like this, and eventually the city and the park they managed to preserve like this, was not a foregone conclusion because it was a place where a lot of people had a lot of ideas of what to do with, right? So, okay, so from destruction to modern rebirth through the park. Yes, that's it, yeah. And that's a very common trope in, in commemoration. You have the same thing in Yad Vashem in Jerusalem, um, where you go to the depth of the war, and then you go up and you go up, and it's literally open up into the open air and the mountains. Of Jerusalem and they're like Israeli flags and again rebirth. That's a very very common trope when we talk about commemorating disaster and it's Tangikans of basically had the same thing. But again, other people had other ideas, right? We talk about the zoo, <laughs> it's one of them. But also, this was the biggest park in Hiroshima and as such, it was a place for gathering either for young bike gangs. I talk about how it was a place for people running around with their little scooters, right, and having parties which people didn't like at all, or for student radicals, uh, that, or for labor radicals, or for army, well, not sorry, self-defense forces, <laughs> um, so, uh, parades. Uh, they were 
military ceremonies done in the Peace Park in the 70s. There were actually tanks on Peace Boulevard. How ironic, <laughs> but they, from 767 or 68 to 73, I think the oil shock ended it. Uh, there were military parades on Peace Boulevard that ended with a ceremony in front of a cemetery. Wow. Um, and all of this now, it's a history that, again, there was a whole movement to, in the 1670s by the city to sort of sanctify the peace movement and get rid of the students, get rid of the bad gangs, get rid of the hibachi that were selling unauthorized souvenirs. There used to be all those shacks of people selling souvenirs, of making it properly clean and presentable, right? But it took a long time up until the mid 70s, even the 80s, to get it to its uh, current form today. So interesting. Um, I When I do tours through Peace Park, um, I often talk about the different memorials that are in there and how each memorial has a big group of grassroots movement to yeah. get it there. Um, for example, even uh, the Children's Monument with Sadako yeah. Sasaki, um, that took a lot of petitions and a lot of yeah. uh, rallying to get that in there. And so I always point out every single thing in here has been a battle to get it here and it has deep meaning and deep uh, connection to the local yeah. people who wanted it here. And I yeah. think that's that's something not to take lightly for the design, for the memorials, for everything, right? Yeah, and I always use, when I teach, I always use the Korean one. I think the easiest one to talk about, uh, the one that's most obvious one is, is the, the Korean, uh, the Korean um, memorial that you memorial. have. Uh, With the on. turtle. Yeah. The turtle, yeah, the one uh, towards the top of, of the island, um, mm -hmm. which is a little bit out of sight. You know, it, uh, I write in a book, uh, and again, I think uh, Lisa, mm -hmm. Lisa Onayama or, or uh, Naonakiko, I think it's Naonakiko, wrote a really nice article about how it used to be outside. Yeah. Because the city would not allow a Korean memorial because, well, they wouldn't say it, but it, but it was a Japanese strategy. No, no Koreans need apply, right? It's it's uh, the Korean Japanese are, are and Koreans are, were discriminated at the time, still discriminated to a large extent, uh, and even in death. But there's a larger story here because there is a big fight between North Korea and South Korean Association about who is going to own this site. The memorial is not for the Korean people; it's for a prince, who was very inconvenient, uh, inconveniently for Korean nationalists, uh, not Korean nationals, not nationalists. Um, patriots, um, uh, also a lieutenant, I think, in the Japanese army. So he died as a Japanese soldier in Korea, and memorial is for, and of course, it's something that communists will not approve of, right? Memorial for the prince and not for the people. So there's a long time of fighting between Koreans, and the city didn't want to anything to do with this. I mean, that's the city point of view. So. There's a lot of story behind this particular memorial, and we have, and it's the thing with monuments, and specifically with the park, it looks so set, and so, and the atmosphere is so sacred and respectable, but we think that it was always like this. But as you said, every single thing there have politics and history behind there. Yeah. And, I read about that memorial that it wasn't moved into the park until the early 90s. So uh, it's yeah. quite, yeah, recent development, right? Yeah. In 94, there were the Asia Games, 
And uh, again, don't quote me on this. I think it's got a lot to do with the fact there's a lot of Koreans and Asians uh, coming in. And it's also got to do with the renovations of, uh, of the exhibit to be a little bit more acknowledging of, of Japanese history uh, and of aggression in Asia. A lot got to do with the people who come to see because the more and more tourists coming from outside of uh, coming from outside what used to be just Euro-Americans yeah. uh, without the usual groups uh, of Japanese and Euro-Americans and a lot of tourists from Asia, meaning that you have to acknowledge their stories as well. So there's a lot of dialogue between the groups. Yeah. Between the, the your, your microphone again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, that's uh, the museum itself had just been renewed in the last couple of years. Um, that was a criticism of many visitors uh, from abroad saying there wasn't enough ownership of Japan's military role um, as a reason perhaps that it was bombed, not just that the bomb happened out of nowhere. Um, it yeah. seems like there's a more balanced view with the modern revival. Yeah, um, yeah, that's the first, just the, the recent revision in, in the 2010s, uh, 14 to 18, uh, is actually the second round of controversy, debate, talks about what to do with Japanese past. Uh, the first one was the mid-90s, the 50th anniversary of the war, and then there is a talk about the Kagaisha corner, the aggressor's corner, that uh, the museum wanted to put in, but then the right wing uh, in Hiroshima didn't really like it, said it's going to scar our children if they know about what Japan did. Uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a long it's a long story in Japan about how uh, the right wing doesn't want to uh, acknowledge any, any Japanese crimes. And, and uh, as you know, you've probably been to the museum many times. It's basically a panel, you know, it's like panel too. It's not so uh, conspicuous. But even this, I would say, token acknowledgement of Hiroshima role, it's at least one corner here, right? There's a panel or two uh, about Nanking. I might be wrong because I haven't been there for a long yeah. time. Yeah. I mean, is there There's more, you remember? Um, it's a panel or two. It's not a huge yeah. section, but it does acknowledge it, which is a yeah. big improvement, I think. Yeah, um, and this this was part of the controversy um, about the A-bombed warehouses, which they've just decided yeah. to preserve. Um, but yeah, how great, do you own how do you own the military past with places like that and yeah. the Peace Park? And I, I really believe, and I think many people do, and I'm so glad it's being preserved. You need both. You need to yeah. to have both, right? You need to acknowledge that history is not a simple story. It's layered history and specifically in the case of Japan, it was an aggressor country. It did horrible things. It, I mean, countries and people, <laughs> Japanese people, Japanese army, Japanese politicians did horrible things in Asia that they have to own up to if they want to keep living in this neighborhood, right? I mean, it's... And then, of course, on the other hand, Japanese were also victims of U.S. bombing, of the atomic bomb. Um, and those two things, I mean, can, history can show both of those things. You have to show the layers and to go to those warehouses, right? They were saved as an A-bomb building, right? The con and the way to talk about it now is an A-bomb building, right? I would like them to be saved as a historical 
building with a connection to Japanese militarism as well. And Japanese military and the very particular local history of Hiroshima is a military city and a city that really connected its identity very, very strongly with the empire and with the military, where it was one of the main gateways to go to Russia-Japanese war, Sino-Japanese war. That's something that should be more acknowledged side by side. Right? Of course, they don't cancel each other, but right now the bomb, in a way, right, intentionally or not, cancel those other histories. And in this, if, you know, if, if to preserve those warehouses, you should have acknowledgement of those two histories. But right now, there's an erasure. Uh, it's not complete in other places, for example, in a castle, they did a really good job. Uh, they have a lot of, uh, they have a number of exhibitions talking about the fact that it was um, a military site. But you will notice, for example, if you go to the castle, and I think you had a tour for there a mm -hmm. couple of weeks ago. Yeah. It's very easy to miss the bunkers that still exist. Yeah. Right? There are, there's a line of trees that are very conveniently put there that, that hide them. It is acknowledged and there's a sign, but you have to actually go behind the trees. And what you have conspicuous in front of you is like this big, beautiful tension that now they're going to destroy. <laughs> and, but, uh, and then the, the nation protecting shrine, which is a, a whole different story, right? The very right wing shrine. But it, it's the, the military history is literally hidden. And I think there should be an acknowledgement of this because this will lead to, by preserving those things properly and talking about it properly, it will lead to a much more acknowledgement of the complex history of the place. Yeah. And that bunker uh, next to the, ca in the castle grounds is really interesting because that's where the the young girl who was working there made the first call to yep. the headquarters and saying, we have been destroyed in Hiroshima by a new kind of bomb. And, yep. you know, that finally led to the leadership. And maybe uh, that was part of the, the, the resignation by the government that they needed to... So to it's give a up. Historic, it's, it's a historic place, both for the history of the bomb itself, but also for a larger history. It was, you know, there's one thing that really always miss, I always miss in the Hiroshima narrative, the stories of soldiers and the place of the military. You know, it's complex. It's hard to acknowledge this, but, you know, the bomb was not, was quite dropped on a on civilian city. It was only dropped a couple hundred meters from one of the largest military camps. Uh, in Western Japan, like the site of the, the Second Army, there are thousands, tens of thousands of soldiers there. There's tens of thousands of soldiers were Hibakusha, yet you very rarely hear their stories. And, you know, I have a friend who worked on this uh, in Nagasaki, uh, and she went and interviewed the people in Iwate Prefecture that were victims both of Hiroshima and Fukushima, because they were soldiers at the time. Right. They went down to Hiroshima. They were victims again of Fukushima. Right. But we don't hear their stories because there is no acknowledgement of military. Now, this is not done on purpose. Um, I hope it's because they were not in Hiroshima, so people in Hiroshima could not interview them. But no one goes out actively for the most part and try to get their stories because it's convenient to focus on civilian victims, to focus uh, and you still see it in memory culture. It's very civilian focused and it forgets the military completely. And yeah, that, that is so true. There is so much concentration on the mobilized students 
who are yeah. obviously victims of the war. They were forced yeah. to work for the military. But you're right. We don't hear the survivor's stories of the actual soldiers, right? It's very hard to find. I have a couple of accounts that I found. But in um, my next book, um, well, my next, next book, uh, it's going to be about this, about the military. And I've been actively searching for for military, uh, military um, hibakja. And there's a lot of reasons why we can't find him, like the chaos in the end of the war, the demobilization. The, uh, but, uh, you know, after when he started compensation records, they started to come out more and more. But again, ideologically, I mean, the peace movement doesn't really talk about them. Right? Because, again, it really doesn't fit into the story. It focuses on the students and the kids. And, of course, those are doesn't mean they're not victims, right? They're, it doesn't mean, but... Again, it's much more complex than just a story that starts in August 6th in the morning. Right? This is how both stories starts, right? In the morning of August 6th, a civilian, you know, think about uh, Barefoot Gen and those stuff, like a civilian city. That there is some military in Barefoot Gen, but their family is very anti-war. It's, it's, uh, it's very, you know, not very liable, I would say. But it's the story, right? It was a civilian city. People wake up in the morning and the bomb dropped on them from nowhere, right? They're all safe and passive, right? I mean, who dropped it? Why just dropped it? It's, what was the context? And that's something that in this book and my other work I try to, to address. Again, doesn't cancel out the victimization and the horrible stories, but it does need to be put in a bigger context. Yeah, and that's one of the most powerful stories uh, when you talk about the, the maidens uh, who yeah. were survivors of the bomb and they went to America to get plastic surgery to get yeah. some of the scars and scar tissue taken off. And the pilot of the Enola Gay who dropped the bomb said sorry and got really upset. Yeah. And that was a really awkward moment because it wasn't supposed to be about that. He was, it was also very drunk. <laughs> amazing. Yeah. So there's, yeah, so I really want to send people to... Uh, read your articles and read this book because there is so much Thank more you. in here. Um, so many great and important stories. And you're continuing to research and write, right? Yeah. Um, as long as I'm lucky enough to get paid. It's to ongoing. Uh, yeah. Ongoing, uh, great. Yeah. Great comment here from Kyle. Uh, thank you, Joanne Rand, for the insightful discussion. Difficult issues, but you help by talking through the history. Uh, definitely something we want to talk about more, although it is very difficult. We really appreciate all the work that you continue to do, Ren. Thank you. Um, thank you, Carl. Um, I guess so, if we have a little bit more, there's a question from Alicia about uh, Nagasaki. Um, I didn't mention Nagasaki a lot now. Um, I'm not a historian of Nagasaki. Um, I'm story of Hiroshima, therefore I talk mostly about Hiroshima. Nagasaki experience is different in many ways. There's of course a lot of similarities. There's a great book, uh, there's a lot of work in Japanese, uh, it's a great book in, in English and Chad Dial about it, but how it's almost always in relation to Hiroshima. Um, again, it's, it's a very complex story that didn't make into the book and I let others uh, write it, but we also of course have to Acknowledge it. Hiroshima doesn't stand for Nagasaki. Nagasaki has its own history, its own experience, um, and I really wish people uh, and and people want to read about their great works about it out there. 
Yeah, wonderful. And uh, if you are visiting Japan, I would definitely recommend you come to both Hiroshima and Nagasaki. The experiences are very different. And uh, we have in Hiroshima, 80% of our visitors are from English speaking countries, America, uh, Australia, yeah. and Europe, much different from the type of visitors that visit most sites around Japan. Um, so there, there, the tourism aspect is really interesting and unique, and um, so glad that you have researched it for so many years and helped yeah. us understand it a bit better, Ren. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for this wonderful opportunity to talk. Sorry about the mic. And No, no, I'm sorry okay. too. Um, I really hope you'll join again, and maybe next time we can focus on the castle and oh. the castle history. Yeah, I don't think one hour will be enough for me. <laughs> yeah, I can probably also talk to, to all of you. It will be, will be great if we can talk a lot uh, and more about it because it will also go back from a different angle to a lot of things we talked so far. I would love to. Yeah, let's let's continue the conversation next time. I love it. Yeah. All right. Yeah, thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for Bye. joining. Take thank care. You. Bye. Bye. Drop the armor, now I'm bolder.